Welcome. Church of the Advent is an Anglican congregation in Denver, Colorado, that seeks to share in the life of God by redefining and reorienting everything around the gospel of Jesus Christ. We hope you are challenged, encouraged, and moved closer toward the gospel by this week's message. Let's just begin with a moment of silence together. Let's bring our grief this week, all that's on our hearts, all that's going on in our world. Um, let's surrender it to the Lord. Restore, O Lord, what was lost in the fires of our cities, in the fires of our relationships, in the midst of COVID, in the fires in our lives. You know and you see, Lord, the devastation, the scorched places. Lord, in your mercy, bring fresh wind and new life into those places and relationships and people destroyed by evil and hate and sin. Do not let evil dwell there anymore, Lord. Remove the debris and all that is charred. Set aright that which is turned over and smashed and destroyed. Cleanse hatred and self-righteousness and arrogance. We are too small, too powerless, too tired, and too weary to defeat the giants of evil all around us. We are unable, O Lord, but you are able. Yes and you are willing. We stand with those who mourn, and we intercede with those who are wounded. Cleanse our hearts, renew our minds, clear the air. Open the heavens so that those whose lungs have been scorched by fire may be free to breathe pure air at last. And Lord, make us enemies no more. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Kevin Corver, for that beautiful prayer. One uh, mother shared um, in morning prayer this week. She said, can I just get some prayer? I'm being impatient and rude with my family and with my kids, and I am just emotionally spent. Is it okay if I take this off? Okay, I feel we've got plenty of distance, so I'm just going to move back a little bit. I won't shout. I'm just feeling emotionally spent. And many of us in morning prayer just gave a hearty amen. We could relate. You know, out of the COVID frying pan and into the fire of racism and violence and chaos and rioting and confusion and grief and anger and killing, and it's just too much. And personally, this week, I felt really, really, really overwhelmed. Uh, I felt like I have been skating on very thin ice, and it's beginning to crack, and I'm wondering if the bottom is going to fall out. It's just been a really heavy week, and I'm sure many of you can relate. The truth is, I feel like I'm facing some giants that I just don't know how to fight. I just don't, I just don't know what to do, and they, many, many of them come in the form of questions. I just don't know how to answer, for sure. You know, how can I lead us safely together back in worship is one question. What is the best way to deep clean this building so that we can have more than one services without ruining our pews with Clorox wipes? It's another question. Um, how can I make sure I'm educated and engaged enough in the conversation to meaningfully contribute uh, to the conversation on race and injustice? But, you know, I'm a pastor. I, I need to contribute my voice. But at the same time, 
I feel like the invitation right now is to be humble and to listen and to be slow to speak. And when, when is it right to speak up? And when is it right to just sit back and listen and learn? And what are my own sins I need to examine and repent of? And so many big questions. How do we as a church family engage one another and people of color and our wider community and, a, and this, this world amidst this global pandemic and social upheaval and a collapsing economy? And meanwhile, there's the pressing questions of parenting and of family and of marriaging. Uh, you know, is the significant investment Jenny and I are making in one of our kids' speech difficulties ever going to pay off? Are we ever going to see a return on that investment? Is this something he's just going to have for the rest of his life? Um, what can I do to help my child's temper? What can I do to help my own temper? Uh, my kids' reading, what about their self-image? There's just so many big questions. And honestly, I look at all these challenges and I just feel small. I just feel kind of stupid. I just don't know the answer to a lot of these things. And it's so humbling. And that's my version, but I know you have your version, your own intimidating giants, big questions you might not know how to answer. Some of you have lost jobs. Some of you have been suffering from reduced pay. Some of you are dealing with chronic pain without easy answers. You're feeling depressed and socially isolated and lonely. And you're having all kinds of family issues and grief in your life. And, and when you pile on a pandemic and a society that seems like it's tearing in two, it's just a lot, so much to carry. But that isn't the case for everyone. Many of us, many of us in a relatively white, relatively affluent congregation, we see the news and we look out our window and we see what's going on in the world and we can't quite reconcile the two because it feels like a different world in some ways. Spring is in full bloom and there's extra time with your family and, and life is quite frankly peaceful for you and, and harmonious and good. And so what do you do? You go for a bike ride, you go for a walk, you spend time with people you love. But here's the other layer. You go for a bike ride or you go for a walk, not fearing for your life. Or you go for a drive, not being haunted by the idea that a routine traffic stop could be a death sentence if you make one wrong move. Or if you don't. Last week, two African-American pastors shared over Zoom that they would not allow their children to ride their bikes in front of their house or around their neighborhood or go for walks in front, out their front door for fear of their life. What would it be like to carry that burden on behalf of your children? A few of you in our church family might know a little bit what that feels like. And I just want to say to you who are people of color at Advent, I want to say thank you for being a part of our family. And we need you because the kingdom of God needs you. The kingdom of God is diverse. You help our church family better reflect the kingdom of God. And you bring unique gifts and a unique voice and a unique perspective that we value. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being a part of our family. When I was working with InterVarsity, I led several conversations on multi-ethnicity. And I once had a student come up to me and say, Jordan, it sounds like you just don't like white people. I love white people. I, uh, I like me, at least I'm learning to like me, and I, I, I'm thankful for my Polish and mixed European heritage. I celebrate God's providence that he made me come from where I came from, and I am who I am. And indeed, I genuinely celebrate the gift of being in our great country, the United States, for its many strengths and its many blessings. I'm so thankful. And yet, we do as Christians have a higher loyalty, don't we? 
to Christ and his kingdom. And this compels us to speak of and to grieve and to lament the ways our country or our heritage, and indeed my white heritage, is mixed up with sinful and counter-kingdom ways of living and being. And it remains entangled with deeply rooted systems of injustice, some of which I learned a bit more about last night when we watched Just Mercy as a family. Recommend it highly. Incredible movie. So where do we go from here? First, we learn. Uh, We're going to be putting a resource list together. We hope you'll engage it. Many of you already have. Many of you are far more well-read than I am, so you're ahead of the curve here, but I just want us to encourage you to engage the conversation by learning. Um, As a staff, we're going to choose a resource to engage together. Second, we pray for conviction. We pray for actual biblical conviction, not guilt that kind of comes and goes like a fad, but biblical conviction. You know, we seize the momentum of this moment to get on our knees before God, and we ask him to reveal and unearth and shine light upon uh, our own hearts. Where are the places in our own hearts where there's racial bias or prejudice or racism? And don't think of ourselves as immune. I mean, it's core to the Christian faith that we believe we're fallen, we struggle, and this isn't just this one area we're completely immune from. We're, We're all susceptible. But it's safe. That's what I want to say. It's safe to seek God for conviction because God loves you. His love is secure. And when we fall on our face in repentance and we recognize our sin, it doesn't change that. It's a beautiful act. So search your hearts. Look for where you can enter into this conversation with repentance. We pray for conviction because God has a soft spot for the downtrodden and for the marginalized and those without much. And he has a special kind of rebuke for those who have a lot who have wealth and power and status and privilege, but who don't use it to serve those who don't have much. We pray for conviction because George Floyd's life didn't just matter. George Floyd's life was totally unique and totally precious and totally irreplaceable. Of course black lives matter. More than that, black lives are beloved. We pray for conviction Because authentic love, authentic love and peace between black and white and brown is a necessary form of obedience to the gospel of Jesus. And it's a profound testimony to the power of Jesus to reconcile us to God and to one another. It's a witness to the watching world. The church must lead in this conversation. We must, the people of God must be different. So we pray for conviction because racial reconciliation on a worldwide scale is impossible unless it begins here, in your heart and my heart, here. And third, we engage relationally. We, we, we seek God for opportunities for us as a church, for Church of the Advent, to increasingly reflect the diversity of our neighborhood and our city. And we recognize that this happens in the context of relationship, not just through some forced programs, but authentic relationships. So we pray and we seek ways that we can relate to people of color, not in some kind of awkward, forced, make a person a project kind of way, but in a genuine, sincere desire to see our church, our community, our lives better reflect the gospel, and knowing that our world is enriched by these relationships. And finally, turning our attention for a few minutes to the series we begin today, if you could bring up the graphic. We abide in Christ. We abide in Christ. In John 15, 3, Jesus teaches his disciples this. He says, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. 
So we're calling this series on the fruit of the Spirit healthy and human because we long to see the healing and humanizing power of God break into our lives and heal us of sickness and of dehumanizing patterns that characterize so much of this world. Our world is sick. It needs the great physician. It needs the healing of the gospel. Many of us who have grown up in church may uh, kind of understand the gospel like this. We sinned. We deserve punishment. God punished Jesus in our place so he can forgive us. Therefore, we go to heaven when we die. The emphasis that, of that gospel, here it is it's punishment, then forgiveness, and then getting to heaven. Punishment, forgiveness, heaven. And while this is, of course, part of the story, it is not the gospel in its fullness. The fuller telling of the gospel, the emphasis isn't on punishment, but on love. Not on God wanting to punish, but on God so loving the world. And the fuller telling of the gospel, forgiveness of individual people's sins, is a subplot to the overarching mission of God to restore and redeem all things. In the fuller telling of the gospel, heaven is the temporary dwelling place of those who die in Christ before Christ comes again and resurrects our bodies in the new creation where heaven and earth will be joined together. This is the final resting place of God's people, the new heavens, the new earth with resurrected bodies. So this is the telling where scriptures like John 15 find their meeting. Listen, if we abide in Christ, we bear much fruit. Why does Jesus want us to bear fruit today if the gospel is essentially getting us out of here? Here's why. When a person encounters Jesus and when a person encounters his salvation, this is not the climactic end of the journey where life then is reduced to a waiting game to heaven. Rather, his salvation is the beginning. It's the beginning of an adventure towards true health and true humanity, a fruitful life. A life that gets swept up into the great plans of God to redeem you and me and the whole world. It's the beginning of an adventure with him. And this has enormous significance for the way we live today. Even for how we engage this critical conversation on race. And, you know, if we settle for this anemic gospel that just makes it all about individual salvation and getting to heaven, we are um, so earthly minded, excuse me, so heavenly minded that we are of no earthly good. Here's what I mean. Uh, as a black man and pastor in Denver Seminary Board of Trustee and uh, member and professor, a man named Brandon Washington posted a Facebook, many of you might know his name, Facebook video this week, and he was processing the, the killing of George Floyd. And he was processing the indifference he sees amongst any, many of his evangelical brothers and sisters in the white community. Here's what he said. He said, I'm tired of saying something only to have voiceless men decide to speak up and critique of me having said something. They become the clergymen in Alabama who told Martin Luther King that he should just wait because God will fix it all in the end. And to that, my response is, you have such heavenly mindedness that you are of no earthly good. See, that's not how the kingdom of God works. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth is mine now. If King Jesus is the king of justice in eternity, he's the king of justice now. The clergyman in Alabama had a belief that the gospel meant waiting for a good future in heaven. So they tried to silence MLK. But MLK knew, Martin Luther King knew what we must know, that the gospel means the goodness of heaven breaking in in the present. It means Jesus, the only truly just king of kings, desiring justice today, now. How? Through you and I, through his church, through his people.
See, he desires for his people to make the justice of heaven present today. What is more, he desires his people to make heavenly love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control present today. This is why Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. The gospel is not ultimately about our escape to heaven. It is about his coming here and making what is true in heaven true on earth. And in heaven, black men don't spend eight minutes pleading for their lives and asking for their mother while being slowly killed. And people don't destroy lives by burning and stealing from small businesses. And privileged people don't turn their face away in indifference from people in pain. Your kingdom come on earth, Lord. We beg you. So Christians, when you post on social media, or you have a conversation at work, or you listen to the painful experience of a person of color, your mandate is that every person who experiences you experiences a taste of the kingdom, a taste of heaven on earth. You see, friends, our role is to bring is to cooperate with Jesus as he brings heaven to earth. How? By giving the world a taste of Jesus. How? John 15, abide in him. Abide in him because when we abide in him, we produce good fruit in our lives. Do you see? Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. See, the world is sick, but it, it isn't just physically sick. What is humanity losing to the pandemic of pride? What is hatred and narcissism and bigotry and and racism and rage and fear and impatience costing us? What has unfaithfulness and violence and carelessness cost you? What did it cost Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd? What if the perpetrators of these crimes had encountered the transforming love of Jesus somewhere along the way? What if A Christian bearing the fruit of Christ had had loved them somewhere along the way so compellingly, so amazingly that they had encountered a taste of Jesus and they had tasted that fruit for themselves and their hearts had begun to be transformed by the Holy Spirit. And they had learned to repent of their racist sins. And what if they had begun to be molded into the image of Christ who loves black and white and brown? What if they had learned to cultivate the gentle love of Christ in their lives and in their hearts? What if kindness defined every tweet, every Facebook comment since the beginning of social media? How would the world look different today? What if your spouse were asked to summarize in one word the way you treated them? And their answer was patience or kindness. In fact, did you know that one of the... um, Best indicators of marital satisfaction, according to religious and non-religious research, kindness. What if our politicians and our political conversations were ruled by love and self-control? See, make no mistake, the gospel is meant to be profoundly good for the world. It is meant to spread like a flood or a, a wildfire, but not one that destroys, one that revives the soil and puts new nutrients into it. And helps us become people who produce good fruit in our families, in our churches, in our communities, in our workplaces, so that people might experience us in our, in our community, in our church, the way that uh, Jenny and I experienced wild fruit while hiking the trails of Hawaii. 
Jeannie and I had just arrived in Hawaii after a honeymoon. We got married in 2011. We got off the plane and we got connected to some new friends there very quickly. And they took us hiking, like the third day we lived in, in Hawaii. And it turns out this hike was like an eight mile round trip hike. It was, it was crazy, not only because of the, the, the distance that we weren't quite prepared for, but because so much of it was on the top of this volcanic um, mountain, which you know has these very narrow trails on the top, fit for like a mountain goat, but not for a human being. So we're hiking along this ridge with huge drop-offs both way, and it was terrifying, and it was exhausting. But um, I can still remember that we would stop, and we would take and gather ourselves every once in a while, because we would, we would stop, and there was wild fruit growing all over the place. And we would take that as an invitation to stop and pick the fruit and eat it. And I can still remember just the sense of gift that filled my heart. I can still remember just the sweet and satisfying refreshment of that fruit that kept us going on that hike the bright flavors. Christians are called to be this for the sick and weary world, to be places where others may stop and gather themselves and experience the sweet refreshment of heaven on their earthly journey. In other words, we're called to be fruit bearers because Jesus didn't just save us to take us to heaven. He saved us to cleanse us, that he might indwell us by his Holy Spirit, which produces good fruit in our lives, if we'll let him. And this is the truly healthy, truly human way to live. God wants to humanize us by his Spirit. Restore us to ourselves. All right, well, one warning before we close. Paul's analogy of fruit encodes a warning for us as we embark on this series on the fruit of the Spirit. Paul is using a gardening analogy. He's using a gardening analogy. Now, some of you have gardens at home. Any of you have a garden in here? Gardeners, green thumbs. Okay, we have a few. Who grows your garden? Do you? Kind of. You cultivate, you cooperate with the conditions that tend towards successful growth. But what brings the growth? Well, there's this giant ball of fiery gas millions of miles away that provides the energy we need. And there's the soil that you didn't make. And there's the air you didn't build, all of which are necessary for the fruit to grow. See, a, gardener, a garden requires a gardener, yes, but it requires a God, one who knows really how to make fruit grow. So as we talk about love and joy and peace and all these other things, here's what this series must not be, and it must not become in your own heart. Hey, guys, be better. Grow this fruit in your life. Make it happen. That's not the gospel. The gospel is not work harder. It's not good news. Rather, we must hear the invitation of the gospel. God loves you. He loves you so much, and he longs to turn your heart into a beautiful, fruit-bearing garden. Will you cooperate with that? Will you cooperate with him? Will you respond to the work that he is doing? Will you intentionally respond to his love, to his sunshine, to his rain, to his fresh air, by doing just a bit of gardening? Will you cooperate with the work of the Spirit by cultivating the conditions in your life that cooperate with growth that he longs to bring? To whose work is it? It's his, ultimately. But you will not bear fruit in your life unless you learn to cooperate with the work that he is doing in your life by pruning distractions and watering your life with silence and solitude by tilling the garden of your heart with the word of God. So that's what we're going to do over these next eight weeks. 
If you keep in step with the Spirit of God, you will become more and more the, the woman or the man that God longs for you to be. You will be fully alive, and you will bring life to the world through your life. So I invite you, church, to walk with me over the coming weeks into a more fully healthy, more fully human life. Let's pray. Father, we pray for your spirit to lead us as a a community, even as a community still apart and beginning to gather. We pray that you would lead us by your spirit, individually and as a family, to increasingly reflect your image, to be fruitful for the sake of your kingdom and for the sake of our own lives, the lives of our families and our kids and those around us and those we love. Help us to deeply apprehend the good news of the gospel that we are beloved and help us to respond and cooperate with you as your spirit invites us to walk. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. We encourage you to take a moment to reflect on what God might be saying to you through what you just heard. For questions, additional information, and resources, please visit adventdenver.com.